0: Good evening and welcome to episode 85 of the Winning Agenda. Tonight our panelists include 2014 World Top 16 Competitor and 2016 Regional Champion Jesse Marshall. Hello. 2015 Regional Champion and 2015 Australian Nationals Top 8 Competitor Wolfie Horrig. Hi.
1: 2015
0: Regional Top 8 Competitor Holoseko.
1: Hey, what's going on?
0: And I'm your host Brian Holland and today we are talking about the Liberated Mind, the most recently spoiled data pack from the Mumbad cycle. But yeah, let's you uh,
2: congratulate Jesse on his ah, new, yes, uh, you should do that, yeah. new intro.
0: Yes, Jesse. You have a you have a new addition to your intro.
3: Yeah, I noticed a couple of weeks back that um, part of my intro was excised, uh, so I decided that I needed to get a new title to add in there. So thanks, Brian, for the um, additional impetus to get me. That's dead. okay. But, um, That's what I was doing
0: as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, um, it was a really good day. Um,
3: it was a lot of fun because all three of us made top eight, which was yeah, exciting.
0: yeah. No, it's it's very good, and we're all very proud of you. I'm very happy for you. Thank you. There um, were
3: 37 players, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, our Melbourne scene has been going strong for a few years now. We've had sort of 30s, 40s, 50s of players at our regionals, and it was great to see heaps of new players there as well on the weekend.
0: I imagine we'll probably touch on regionals a bit more next week, but we're one thing I just want to clear now, can you recommend any podcasts that might help people if they want to become a regional champion themselves?
3: Um. Not, probably not any podcasts. Ah,
2: yeah. oops. What, so, something's <laughs> playing in my <I> thing. <laughs> <laughs> sorry.
0: <laughs> Well-timed, Wilfred Horig. <laughs> the first card from the Liberated you Mind is... You didn't even let me answer your no? question. What? That's, that's what? not going to be a funny joke. Ah, sorry, anything. I thought but... you were struggling, and that's no, why no, Wilfie like, in- interrupted. Oh, no, what was no, your no, joke? No. Go on.
3: No, no, I was just saying, uh, I probably can't recommend any any podcasts. Um, yeah. Now I've got to think of the second half of the joke, huh? Um. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I
0: can't recommend uh. any podcast. Well, that's unfortunate. If any of our listeners know, get in contact with Jesse Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. The, the, f- the first card from the Liberated Mind is the Noble Path. It's an anarch event, run, cost 0, influence 2. Trash your grip, make a run. Prevent all damage during this run. Hollis, how many times have you been in a situation where this would have been the perfect card for it?
1: Well, uh, uh, let's just, I mean, let's look at the straight facts, right? That's, that's why what, that's what we're here, right? So, uh, I mean, clearly, um, you know, clearly every time I make a run, I automatically know that I'm going to just take the damage. So I might as well just lose all of the cards in my hand to take said damage. Or not to take any. But I technically still take it because I trashed my. I'm not playing this. Next. Next, really? I mean,
3: if it's the last card in your
1: grip, it's good, obviously. But that's a good point. But that I don't. I feel like that never happens. It's so. It's so rare that I have less than three or four cards in my hand. Um,
3: I feel like this lets you build a more viable anarch deck without wild cakes, if you want to, and one that can be uh, quite aggressive. Against Jinteki, which can be a bit of a problem, or against any deck where you're expecting damage to come during the run. But if you, you know, go running on R and D, and if you want to be attacking R and D against decks where you have to do that at a particular time in the game because they make you do it, um, in order to win, or because you you know that it's going to be harder yeah. for you to do it later. <coughs> not having to worry about well, dying to snare yeah. Is not having to worry about dying is really good. I mean. It allows you to be aggressive.
2: The way I th- see this card is like sacrificial clone in that the only thing it does is stop you from flatlining. So it allows you to go down to zero cards in your hand to stop you from flatlining on one run. And how many runs do you seriously make during a game where you're in real danger of flatlining? So much in danger that you're willing to go down to zero cards, which is almost as bad to do it, to like, save yourself from that possibility. It's, it would almost never come up.
3: Uh, I mean, it can come up against PE a lot, I think. A lot? Like, sometimes? Well, I mean, it it basically tilts the PE matchup massively in your favor because the best way for PE to kill you, I think, is to threaten an overrider on remotes. So if you can just noble path all their motions, that's okay.
2: I guess so. But, like, still, you have to go down to one, to no cards in hand to do it, which is st- still, like, at least makes you lose your next three clicks to salvage that. Like, even if it does prevent... Even if it is strong to prevent all damage like, during a
3: run. So maybe it's a good sideboard card against P.
0: And what happens if you've got more than one of these in your hand at the same time? Like, you're just never going to use both of them, right?
3: Well, you can't go on two paths at once, Brian. No.
0: <laughs> your path. It's yeah. the same path twice. It's, it's true. It's noble. The, but it'd have to they, be the same old thing. <laughs> the, The next card is is Emptied Mind. It's an Anarch Resource. Install Zero, Influence 3. When your turn begins, gain a click if you have no cards in your grip. So we, we, you know, might be married to another particular card in this pack. Wilfred, does this change your opinion at all?
2: Uh, I mean, I did consider them together, but I'm not even really sure. Like, there's just... It is a bit of a payoff. This card is a bit of a payoff to having no to the no cards having no cards to being playing. hellbent perhaps? yeah I mean I was gonna say that but people seem to not like it um but like I don't know the fact that an arc the best arc breaker is still Faust means that you to play this card you really need to think up some alternative um icebreaker engine and it's not clear that any alternative icebreaker engine is uh this is um similar enough in power level to Faust to make the dip in power level enough to play this card and have this card be effective.
3: This also works pretty well with Wildside in that you can stack this first so that you gain your click and then you draw your cards True, from Wildside. But
2: Wildside also makes it much less likely that you're going to start the turn with no cards because it reduces the number of clicks you have to play cards while increasing your hand size.
3: So, but I mean, what I'm saying, I guess, is that this functions as a cheaper chronotype as long as you're planning on emptying your hand.
2: But emptying your hand is much harder when you have wild side than when you don't have wild side. True,
3: but you can plan to do that. I mean, I guess I'm saying that it it could open up different ways of playing. It it can also um, allow you to play more of a controlling Anarch style where you're... I mean, the most dangerous time to have no cards in your hand is on the corpse turn. And the reason that's dangerous is if you're making runs. So if you're playing a more passive game where you're planning on building up some massive rig, which generally doesn't fit with the Anarch card pool... But if it did, then this card could support you in doing that if you're just sort of vomiting your hand out onto the board every turn to build some rig. But I don't think that support for that really exists in the current card pool, except for the sort of Durdly Noise, um, uh, what's it called? You know, Virus Breeding Ground deck. Yeah.
0: Or if there was a card that let you, like, discard cards at instant speed for some sort of benefit which you could do in the window before the end of the corpse turn or something like that. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, the first criminal card is Information Sifting. It's an event, run, cost one, influence three. Make a run on HQ. If successful, instead of accessing cards, the corp separates all cards in HQ into two face-down piles. Access all of the cards in one of the piles. You cannot access any cards in the other pile this run. Wilfie, when when this was first spoiled, did you think it was fact or fiction?
2: Uh, I actually posted that I'm not... I don't think the comparison to fact or fiction really um, is
0: there are two piles
3: because, would you say that that comparison is truth or tale
2: uh, it's not like that either because the
0: what p- about Liliana of <laughs> the Veil
2: yeah I guess it's more like that the problem is that your opponent gets has all the, ch- the information when they're making the choice which is the opposite of fact or fiction where you have all the information or like the majority of the information really um, because all you have to go off is the number of cards in each pile which is like fairly limited um, but when you play this card your opponent gets to choose how to distribute the agendas or not agendas but cards which they care about you accessing in the hand such that compared to legwork I think it's just much 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 worse except against um, cerebral imaging I guess Like, but like against an average corp 5 card hand either if they have like 2 agendas they can choose either to split it 1-1 if they're happy to have let you have an agenda or put 2 in 1 pile and zero in the other pile, which means that on average, I think it's going to access you functionally less than one agenda. Um, how, well, how
3: is the two and zero split beneficial to the corp? I don't understand.
2: Well, what if like they're on six, you're on six points or whatever? Then like compared to like worker, it's just miserable because the t- two accessing
3: two agendas and one agenda is the same. But you have you... to choose to access the two, so it turns. Well, sure, but they can just what put was a fifty-fifty
2: three? Like that's not a salient point, I
3: think. Yeah, I don't understand how if they've got two cards in hand...
2: No, if they have five cards in hand.
3: Oh, five cards in hand. All oh, right, okay. Yeah, I can say you can't put zero... I don't think you can put zero cards into a pile, right? Why not? Yeah, you can? can. Why you, not? can? Why not? you must be able to. Otherwise, if you have one card in hand, what do you do? Oh, that's a good
0: point. Yeah, sure.
2: Yeah, and I think someone pointed out that, like, it has the gang sign problem where if they have snare, they can just set up this some situation where you can put five cards in you one pile die. and zero cards in the other, and you can just never play this card. But yeah. yeah. Disregarding that, I think all the factors just lead to it being much worse than it looks.
3: Yeah, I think in general, like you say, those the gang sign problem of the Corp having complete control over HQ and actually being able to set up ways to actively kill you using your cards is not great. Um, But it also, this card does have utility against other decks like CI, similarly to CBI Raid. Possibly better than CBI raid against CI because you're active, actually actively punishing them rather than just setting them back.
2: Uh, yeah, I agree. Like, I think that's the one saving grace. But I think in most situations, it's much like so much worse than
1: like work. So in the niche where we're talking about like CI, I actually think that's amazing, right? Because you you really forced a really horrible, horrible decision there that could effectively end up you know costing the whole game compared to something like CBI raid versus CI. Uh, CI. Well, while useful, it's still not like a. It doesn't necessarily in the game, um, but in terms of like comparing this to you know obviously something like legwork, I think it's fine. I mean, the ability for the cor- it, it's it feels like a very balanced runner card for the corp because as the corp I'll get to decide. All right, you're definitely gonna get to access a set of cards. So do I want to combine the agenda that has the the one point agenda with the snare? Or do I want to have like all my assets in one pile that I need for economy and just leave the agenda, or vice versa? I think it forces some very interesting decisions on the Corp side. Um, but the fact that the Corp begins to decide, of course, means that they're going to try their best to put the piles on whatever is most advantageous to them. So I, I that that's part of the reason why I like it a bit less than legwork if we're looking at the prospect of just accessing a three cards, right? Um. But it's a cool card. I like it. I think I'd probably end up playing it. Quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it
3: compared to legwork and a five card hand, the best you're going to be able to do most of the time is access the best three out of right. five. Right. or a worst two. And that's not better than a random three, I don't think. Right. Whereas, as you were saying, Wilfie, if you compare it to fact or fiction, okay,
0: I'm not going to do that. Yeah, All right, yeah, yeah. we'll just leave it. <laughs> The first Shaper card is Out of the Ashes. It's an event run, cost one, influence two. Make a run. When your turn begins, if Out of the Ashes is in your heap, you may remove it from the game to make a run. Limit six per deck. This is sickeningly nice art. It does have sickeningly nice art. I can't see it right now because I'm on Netrunner DB. Uh, Do you like anything about it other than the art? No. No? Just straight up no?
3: No. I don't like the... um consumer-grade mechanic, and I don't like what the card does. Mm
0: -hmm. So you don't think having an off-click run in the future uh, is is going to be a good thing? We've seen a lot of people play things like Hyper Driver to be able to get those extra runs in to do all kinds of interesting combos.
3: It's functionally an all-nighter,
0: but it's not a a resource. So
3: if you want an all-nighter in your deck that you can discard instead of spending a click to play... um. But, I mean, you're still only getting the one-click net benefit out of it anyway. But fine, say that but, just but when you it but when, when you play it, you spend ma- a click
0: to play it. But when you, but when you uh, spend a click to play it, you're making a run. So, presumably, you're doing it at a point where you would want to make a run anyway.
2: Yeah, but you have to spend a credit to get it out of your hand. That's oh, it do, does cost
0: one. Yeah, that does suck. Yeah. All right, it does cost one. That changes things. I thought it was zero.
3: No, um, but, yeah. So, presumably, if you've got some other way to get value out of discarding it, and even, like, best-case scenario, that happens... And then you've got essentially an all nighter, but it's limited to an all nighter that can only make you a run. I just don't think that that's a very good card, and it doesn't uh, improve in multiples. So why is it consumer grade? I don't understand.
2: Yeah, make it. Well, I mean, in a sense,
0: not... it's supposed to, right? Because the study, like, if you have three of them, you can do three runs at the start of your turn. <clears> yeah, but turn ideally, what to...
2: like what all nighter is good for is playing medium on the first click and then running or like at least
3: having the opportunity to do that. Yeah.
0: Or like, yeah, using Liberated Chiller or effects like that.
2: (gasps) We're going to talk about that next.
0: The next Shaper Card is Temple of the Liberated Mind. It's a resource location, Ritzy, Install 2, Influence 3. It has the ability click, place one power counter on Temple of the Liberated Mind and you can remove a... You can remove a hosted power counter to gain a click. Use this ability only on your turn and only once per turn. Hollis, what do you think of this effect?
1: So it's basically, it's, it's just storing clicks. Like, like we're being clear here. All it's doing is you put your, you use a click, you put a power counter on it, it gains you a click later. So It's a time vault. Yeah, I mean, I suppose... <laughs> if you will. I, yeah. I, we won't. It uh, even costs two. Yeah, I mean... Two <laughs> I don't know, I mean... There's an obvious. There's an obvious like another. There's, there's another card in the pack that we're about to get to that like works with this. But in general, the idea that you're spending clicks to save clicks for later doesn't really seem to hold up to me as a thing you should be doing. I sort of feel like there's so much momentum in Netrunner on a per-click basis on the Runner side that in the early game, mid-game, and late game, every single click is incredibly important, and I think it's very difficult to judge when you're playing as runner, even if you wanted to use this card, I think it's very difficult to judge, hey, this click right now is less important than this click that I will have mm. later already. Yeah. And, and so the fact that you are hedging a bet that my early game is way less important than my mid or late game, or vice versa, or any combination thereof, you know, use, using that logic, sounds incredibly... You need to be incredibly confident, and in general, you're spending money to not guarantee that you'll actually get the payoff here with this. So unless it was some some specific combo where you're trying to save the clicks for a later, uh, I don't know, a later notoriety or, or multiple notorieties or something like that, this card just seems like it's not even really worth slotting.
0: Uh, yeah, and... Uh- it's it's like it's, it's sometimes if you're still playing Katie Jones, which not many people do these days, but it's even when you're playing Katie Jones, it's sometimes fine hard to find time in your turn to put credits on Katie Jones and her ability is much more powerful than this in my opinion. Uh, Wilfie, do you agree with Hollis's assessment?
2: Uh largely, yeah. I don't think there's really much else, else, to else to say. Add? Or yep. I think that it will become a bit more clearer. A bit I think it will become yeah. a bit clearer when we talk about the next card. Okay, we're, I just want to is... say one thing, oh, yeah, okay. sorry.
3: Yeah, yep. just on power counters, um, we may see some card that gives power counters or mini power counters in the future that isn't a Wayland Agenda. It's um, <laughs> actually a runner card. Um, <laughs> and if we do, then this could be one of the cards that benefits from that. Uh, however, if we don't see something like that, I, I yeah, I don't really think that storing clicks over to the next turn at the moment is a particularly high-value thing to do. That being said... Um, the use that's always been around with All Nighter of, as Wilfie said, being able to store clicks for the one big turn where you can leverage something like medium while the Corp is more defenseless um, could be good, but I think that the only use it once per turn limitation really takes away yeah. the potential to leverage that in a big way.
0: Exactly. Uh, the next card is Liberated Chella. It's a resource connection install zero influence two. It has the ability spend five clicks and forfeit an agenda. Add liberated chala to your score area as an agenda worth two agenda points. The court may forfeit an agenda to prevent this if he or she does remove liberated chala from the game. There's a lot going on in this card. So, the, the first thing is that it requires five clicks to use, which is why we've come off talking about the Temple of the Liberated Mind, and it requires that you forfeit an agenda. And your opponent has the option to forfeit an agenda to stop you from presumably winning. Um, we haven't seen a card like this before. Uh, what do we think? Who's who's got the hot scoop?
3: This seems like a really classic Genesis cycle design, where you create something interesting <laughs> and then you put so many limitations on it that it's basically nerfed to the point of obsolescence.
2: I don't think so. Precisely. I think that the. I mean. I don't know if it's a Genesis Cycle design. Exactly, I'm not going to argue about that, but I just think that's a reasonable concession to the fact that games where the best thing to do is like to not ever run is fa- uh, f- lead to fairly miserable Netrunner.
0: Yeah. Uh, it would be remiss if we didn't mention that this uh, combos, in inverted commas, with cards like Fansight, which, uh, you know, you can forfeit. I mean, it's not necessarily an agenda you have to have stolen from your opponent. And you can actually net two points off it, in which point uh, when you're forfeiting an agenda worth zero points and f- to potentially threatening to score two points... Um, and your opponent has to forfeit an agenda, that becomes an interesting sort of situation. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but you can get the five clicks off an All-Nighter, right? So is All-Nighter better to use with this card than Temple of the Liberated Mind if you wanted to go down that path? I I don't really think it's better.
1: Because they're both kind of... I mean, effectively, they're both... You you spend a click, you lose a click, and you gain a click later, right? That's what... Both of them do that. Except one is... A one-time use, and the other no. Liberated play.
3: Mind, Temple of Liberated Mind, costs you two clicks for the first click you gain because you have to pay to ins- the click to install uh, it then the click to load it. Right. Yeah, whereas right. All Nighter is one click to install, yeah. then you gain two.
0: That's gotcha. so. Uh, what I mean, All Nighter is a more um, broader card. Yeah. Temple of Liberated Mind lasts. All Nighter is one use
3: only. Yeah. Sure. So. Yeah. Ah, right. Um, cool. Cool. Yeah. So you can use your temple for all of your Liberated Cellars in your deck. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, um. But I mean, I don't I don't know, I, I I don't like it guys. I'm just being like as straightforward mm. as I can be, I just don't like this. Like I I always feel like whenever I see cards like this, someone makes a deck or they create a you know, a concept and it, it works out or you know, people pick it up and it's fun. But it's it's everything. It's like Jesse said, the number of limitations make it so not Yeah. And like forfeiting an agenda is rough. There's only a handful of cards in the game that forfeit an agenda and they have to be really powerful. But in this case, like you'd have to somehow combo things like fan sight, along with uh, no, yeah. you have to have a combo fan site, You actually have to
0: have the fan sight to have triggered before you can do that as well. So yeah. Right.
1: So we're adding moving yeah. parts. And I mean, if you're if if I'm getting rid of a breaking news for an example to gain two points, well, in that matchup, isn't my opponent also playing like 15 minutes in breaking news? It feels like it's much harder as the runner to score two one than it is for the corp to score two one. So, the exchange isn't even equal, like, because it's way harder for me to grab that agenda than it is for them to score that w- agenda out of hand. I don't know. It just, it, it doesn't yeah. it fit the balance.
3: Particularly when your deck has to have fan sites, liberated chillers, <laughs> all-nighters and or temporal liberated minds, the, the capacity for you to then have a good economy and good breakers
0: seems rather To actually rather steal that limited. first agenda, yeah. Um, I think if this card didn't have the forfeit and agenda stipulation, it would be interesting but still not particularly good um
3: oh i think so, it i think it would be really i think it would be better obviously yeah. um but like Wilfie said I, yeah. i'm sort of glad that it's not gonna uh, hopefully not gonna be a dominant card because i don't really like strategies that allow don't you to just it, yeah. sit there and score points without stealing them from the corpse deck because that's not the memorable. point of the game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: It's Rebirth, which is a neutral event. Cost zero, influence one. Switch your identity with another identity from the same faction. Remove Rebirth from the game instead of trashing it. Limit one per deck. So this is the first sort of... Uh, wish effect, or uh, someone's, I think Calvin likened it to a sideboard card a few weeks ago.
3: Do we think that we've made enough Magic the Gathering references <laughs> in this
0: episode? So, uh, who's going to be rebirthing what? Andromeda into something seems to be the most popular opinion.
2: Yeah, or Valencia into something. Those seem to be the most obvious uses. Uh,
0: yes, because the opponent keeps the um, the bad publicity. Should we or talk the about the limitations of something? this guy? The professor into Yeah, the professor into something. Would still be interesting. Wait, it I guess
2: even uh, like I'm still not even sure whether the professor is better than a blank 45. No, it's 15. not. <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> but
3: it might. No, it's not. Okay.
0: The the oh. obvious limitations with a card like this is that you. I don't think you can reliably design a deck around rebirth in the sense that you're going to build your deck so you start as one ID and then you're going to rebirth like early in at some point in the game into a new ID which will will uh, allow you some sort of leverage. Uh, with the rest of your deck and the way it's designed, because you can only got one copy of Rebirth in your deck, so you're not even uh, guaranteed to get it at any point. I think and the
3: strategies for like, a, you, and like, there's no
0: tutors for events at the moment either. So
3: yeah, uh, but all that being said, the strategies for an Andromeda deck and a Leela deck aren't particularly different. But yeah, you get your full benefit for Andromeda up front. So the downside of playing this card, you you don't have to rely on getting it. But the downside is basically nothing except the influence that you're paying and the card slot.
0: Exactly. The upside
3: is that you're getting a pretty powerful ability for the rest of the game after you do draw this. So I think that that equation is actually pretty good, particularly for Andy, but also for Val, because a bad publicity is nothing to sneeze at. And if you build your Val deck and you've got Blackmails in there, because the Val ability is the one that, is turned on or turned off by... Or the cards in your deck are turned on or turned off by your Val ability, and you're always going to have that. But if you can then turn your Val into something that gives you more value... Value? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> after you draw a rebirth, um, that's just, again, pretty much strict upside. So As long as you can find the influence in those decks, I think it's well worth putting this in.
1: Well, I, I know for a fact that... You- this card has been discussed in fairly good length, even in my local meta. Just as we, you know, because this was a very early card that's kind of been spoiled for the cycle, and the opinion seems to kind of be that at at one influence, you know, there are cards that are really good on the runner side that are one influence, uh, like Stim Hack, but they're not played as often as they normally would be. So it's it's at least not in this stage of um, at this stage of net right? So it's not ridiculous to say I can I can spend the one single influence, you know, for a high variance chance that I could basically, to some degree, fully change my matchup. I can fully see someone switching. Um, I can fully see this card being played in anarch and switching to wizard or Edward Kim based on the matchup. I can fully see this being played in in a shaper and maybe and granted I'm not so, I'm still not a fan of Professor. I can see people switching to different IDs um, as needed to kind of get you know. Further value out of particular um, IDs that are we basically never see play. Kin Tenma, um, we don't see um, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't see Gabe very much, but I can see versus like an NEH deck. Even though Lila's good, um, I can see a, I can see the value in maybe switching to Gabe somewhere in the mid game, just because HQ is vulnerable and you're gaining credits every single turn. So I do I do like it. I think that we this card is actually going to see a lot of play. And I think you're going to see it in some competitive decks where they want to get the most out of their available options. Because one influence for a ton of options like that is pretty useful.
0: The next runner card is Guru Devinda. It's a unique resource connection install one influence one. It's neutral. Prevent all net and meat damage. Whenever Guru Devinda prevents at least one net or meat damage, trash him unless you pay four credits. Uh, this card starts off really good and then gets very, very swingy and expensive. Wilfie, what do you think of the exchange here?
2: Uh, I think this card is most comparable to Feedback Filter. One, because it's Feedback Filter's often played out of faction, sometimes played in faction two, um, and it, this costs one influence, at, and the rate is sort of similar-ish depending on what you're trying to prevent. Um, so I think this has two main problems compared to... to so it's kind of a, a feedback filter plastic um, hybrid. We'll call it that. And so, if compared to those two cards, this has one main problem, uh, two main problems. The first is that it's much worse against um, single instances of small damage, like Bioethics Association. Which, if you're playing Netrunner in 2016, you would be probably not very wise to ignore. And. Um, this is much worse than those because you can't choose when to not use it so eventually your economy that you're planning to use to trash their things is gonna go, is gonna be depleted by an effect that you don't really want Um, and the second issue is that as a resource it's a much much worse Plascrete than Plascrete is because it's uh, they can trash it if you float a tag or if they Seesaws to you, trash it, and scotch, or something like that. And so those two issues are fairly serious, I think. Um, but I think the ability to have this card in Magnum Opus decks, especially, is fairly powerful. And I I'm, wouldn't be surprised if it's so play in the future, but I think it's fairly narrow in application.
1: Hollis? Uh, no, I, I very much agree with, with Wolfie. I think that um, at the present moment, the way that uh, prevention effects work they're basically you it's so rare you're going to actually use them unless they're going to on the corpse side you'll, you'll rarely ever use like a meat and that damage unless you know you're actively going to kill the runner there's few exceptions to that right if you're playing pe obviously the damage is a byproduct of the game simply progressing but versus the most dominant kill strategies it's very i'm, do, I'm going all in to make sure you know you you lose the game right now i can see this card and the way this card works taking advantage of that fact so that now, instead of actually doing the meat damage and net damage as a guaranteed kill, it now, almost to an extent, adds a power level to those meat and net damage cards. Because you know that even if you're not going to kill the runner, you can still um, basically force attacks to get rid of this card if it's the primary form of protection. So to me, that's a little dangerous. I mean, the idea that like I would Neural Imp you once, and then you either pay for or lose this card... Um, if there's no other rule prevention, it's it's pretty clear that, you know, it it, can, it helps add a power level to some of the damaged cards in the game. At least, that's, you know, IMO, IMO.
0: The Turning Wheel. It's a resource, virtual, install to influence one. It's neutral. Whenever a run on HQ or R&D ends, place one power counter on the Turning Wheel if you stole no agendas during the run. two ho- <coughs> You can remove two hosted power counters... For the remainder of this run, access one additional card from HQ or R&D. Jesse.
3: So, the problem... There are a couple of problems with this card. Uh, First one is the influence is not great. Uh, Second is that it's unique. Uh, Yeah. Third is that it's effectively an interface that works one third of the time. (laughs) And doesn't work, or works even less often if you are doing what you want to be doing, which is stealing agendas during those preceding runs. So I, again, I'm a little disappointed by the number of drawbacks on this card. Hmm. The fact that it, yeah, those ones that I've already mentioned, plus the fact that it only loads up on HQ and R&D. But I mean, you know, even if if you want to tone down the power of interfaces, because they're going to rotate out soon, and if this is going to be the replacement for them... (coughs) I don't think that they were overpowered. Okay. They're good. And I've always played R and D face in my deck. I really like it as a card. So I'm maybe a bit biased, but, um, I think toning it down this far. So it only works a third of the time. Um, and then having that additional stipulation that it doesn't charge when you don't steal agendas just seems like a real nail in the coffin for this, but it is at home most in crim. Uh, it would have been nice to see it as a crim card rather than a neutral card that costs influence. Um, but as it is, I think crim cards are going to be pushed for influence, particularly since a lot of them will be wanting to play rebirth, which was already in this pack, and we'll be searching around for influence for that. But if we start seeing some more crim cards that fill some of their other influence needs at the moment, um, this could be something we start seeing one or two of in some of those crim decks.
0: Yeah, I'm very confused at the influence cost on these last two cards we've spoken about.
3: I think Guru Davinder. Yeah, I mean the drawbacks that Wilfie mentioned about meat damage particularly, like it's best against large instances of damage. It doesn't work against overrider. So the most common large instances of damage you're gonna be seeing is scorched, and it doesn't work particularly well against scorch. It really only protects you for one turn because then it's got been gotten rid of. So yeah, I don't really know why it had to be an influence point. And this one, yeah, it's unique. Yeah, I don't I don't know.
1: I feel bad, I have like all these opinions about these cards in, in the I, I didn't spell them. Um, (laughs) so like, so turning wheel, I actually, I think I I like a little bit more, uh, than why I look at it now. And I think the reason why is because I feel like as the runner side, it does something unique that we haven't quite seen yet is that when we have, when we have the interfaces out in play, right, those are always on, they're always good. So they're like, in my opinion, they're like the, the echelon of what we need. I, I just like having this card in play for no other reason, but because it's, in those games where the variance is kind of not in your favor, and it's like, well, I'm accessing nothing. I'm accessing nothing. I'm accessing nothing. Um, this sort of helps move the variance like counter over a little bit. So you've had a fairly like bad series of Lux with access accesses, it, um, and you're face-checking a fair amount of times. It feels like this card you can actually kind of game and take advantage of, and help boost you back into a winning position. Granted, the RDIs do that, but it's basically, I feel like, you know, getting the counters to see additional cards, I'm I'm, I'm moving towards seeing extra cards regardless of whether I score an agenda that turn or not, right? Because the RDI or HQI is scoring agendas. On the subsequent runs, when I'm not scoring, I have the ability to see more cards. So it's, I, I, I mean, in general, it's still giving me a, a fairly unique advantage. I could also, I guess, store all these up and then go nuts on, like, a glory run, I suppose. I'm not really... It's okay, you know? I think that's how I feel about it. It's... It's there.
3: Just on that, like, say you they have an open HQ or you've parasited down their ice in HQ or killed it in some other way. Um, and you're like, okay, sweet, I'm going to, you know, run there four times. And then yeah. next turn I can see three cards of R&D. Even that doesn't seem that great. I mean, yes, you can stack it with things like Siphon. Yes, you know, criminal aside, as we've already mentioned, it's got good synergy with testing and Siphon and all the other successful run effects. But the the fact that it's asking you to make runs where you're not getting much out of it in order to get a really small benefit later. Uh,
0: That's all we have time this week for The Winning Agenda. If you want to get in contact with us, you can check our like page on Facebook, The Winning Agenda. You can hit us up on Twitter at Winning Agenda and you can send us an email to thewinningagenda at gmail.com. Join us next week when we'll talk about the corpse side of the liberated mind. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. We'll see you soon. See you, guys. You're next, Wilfred. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks (laughs) <laughs> Thanks everyone <laughs> I was wondering who's going to win the steering contest though